0: I'm hungry for laughter and care ever after. I'm after whatever the other life brings. Spine tingling greetings. Thank you so much for stopping by, making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard, as always, are courtesy of the awesome Bobby Mackey, And of course, I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Now, we've all heard of the Bermuda Triangle, the Alaska Triangle both which will have their own episodes in the future, most definitely. But have you ever heard of the Bennington Triangle? No. Well, let me tell you all about it then. Centered around Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont, it's a stretch of woodlands all around Glastonbury Mountain, including Woodford, Chaffsbury, Bennington, and the beautiful ghost towns of Somerset and Glastonbury. Now, Glastonbury, before the 1700s, was uninhabited by European settlers. In 1761, the New Hampshire government chartered the town, and by 1791, a total of six families called it home. By 1870, it had become a logging town, and around 240 people, give or take a few, lived here. By the time the 1880s had arrived, unfortunately, due to over-logging, the trees had been decimated, and it became a ghost town. It is a ghost town to this very day, with only eight residents living here. Wow, talk about tiny town knowing all your neighbors. I absolutely love it. I just hope that they all get along and are friends. The Bennington Triangle has long since been believed to be cursed. In fact, the Indians avoided the area like the bubonic plague. The Algonquin legend warns of a malevolent, man-eating stone That's hidden in the mountains that will open itself up and eat any unsuspecting, unfortunate soul that steps on it or near it. Native Americans would only step foot on the land to bury their own. And I believe it was at the base of the mountain where they performed these burials. Besides that, they stayed as far away as possible. And who could blame them? They thought Glastonbury was cursed. Because all four winds met in the same exact location at the peak, changing direction erratically. The Abnaki tribe believed their god, Kabaldok, lived at the peak of Glastonbury Mountain. And I guess that would make sense as to why they would keep their dead buried there. It's believed that they haunt the land. Now many people who have came to visit the woodlands say that there is one thing they can't help but notice. No sounds. No bugs crawling about. No birds chirping their beautiful songs. No pitter-patter of small creatures' footsteps. Nothing. The silence is deafening. It's almost like they avoid the area. Beddington Triangle is known for unexplained happenings. Bizarre sightings such as Bigfoot or a beast that bears resemblance to Bigfoot. Sightings of unexplained lights and flying objects in the sky. Sounds that one cannot explain smells that one cannot explain, weather playing tricks on people, and probably the most eerie of them all, disappearances of several people. Today, you will hear about all of these, and then some. For well over 200 years, There have been reported sightings of a creature that can only be described as Bigfoot, but in these parts it has its own name. It's known as the Bennington Monster. One of the earliest sightings takes place back in the early 1800s. Picture it, a stagecoach filled with people traveling. It's a normal day, nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever, when suddenly the stagecoach stops. The road ahead is washed out. The coach driver gets out. And inspects the area, and it is during this time that he discovers large footprints deep in the mud. These are the biggest prints this man has ever seen. The size? This can be no human being. Shortly after this unnerving discovery, the stagecoach finds itself under attack. A large beast knocks over the coach with barely any force, like a bowling ball to a pin. Horrified passengers are only able to see the eyes of this ravenous beast. The unknown figure is growling and runs off, escaping into the nearby forest. Thankfully, no one was severely hurt, but I'm sure they never forgot this day. This creature is described as over six and a half feet tall, with black, thick, coarse hair, extremely hairy, and very tall. In 1943, a man named Carol Herrick disappears from the area. He was on a hunting trip with his cousin Henry, about 10 miles northeast of Glastonbury, somehow, Carol and Henry become separated. Henry searches everywhere for Carol, but with no luck. It isn't until three days later that Carol's body is found. The sight? It's a gruesome one. This was no falling over and dying due to a heart attack, no. This was far more gruesome, a sinister death. First off, his body was surrounded by these gigantic footprints far too large in size to be of any human. And then there's no gentle way of putting this, but the man was literally squeezed to death. Autopsy shows that his ribs actually punctured his lungs. His cousin Henry believed the tracks surrounding his cousin were that of a large bear, but a bear wouldn't have squeezed the man to death. And it is here in this area in Bennington Triangle that a battle of the American Revolutionary War occurred, known as the Battle of Bennington. The prisoners were held in Bennington until being marched to Boston. The result, 207 were killed, 700 were captured. In 1892, a normal workday in the town's sawmill becomes fatal when, for reasons unknown... Henry McDowell bludgeons one of his co-workers, a man named John Crowley, to death with a large rock hitting him right on the head. He would later tell authorities that, The voices told me to kill him. He eventually is apprehended and he is sent to an asylum where he unfortunately is able to successfully escape and he was never seen again. Or was he... Reports start coming in the very year that Henry escapes from the asylum of a wild man, dirty with ratty hair and clothing, and he approaches women and flashes them. Women still were having encounters with the wild man in 1967. It's believed that this person, who barely resembled a human being any longer, lived in a cave in Somerset. As he flashed his victims, if someone tried to stop him, he would wildly have a pistol, waving it around to stop any would-be rescuers. Some actually believed he was responsible for some of the disappearances that you're going to be hearing about in just a minute. The later years, though, he would have been quite elderly at this point, so I'm thinking probably not. He was not a saint, though, obviously. So I guess the question is, is the mountain cave dweller known as Wild Man who likes to flash women and Henry McDowell, the murderer and asylum escapee, none other than the same person. There's beliefs, opinions, and speculation, but today it remains a mystery. Another murder unrelated occurs back in 1897. A hunter named John Harbour, armed with his own loaded gun, is brutally murdered. And unlike the murder of John Crowley, this murder remains unsolved to this very day. John was a well-liked and respected local man out of Woodford. One day he enters Bickford Hollow, just east of Glastonbury, to go hunting, but he never comes back out. It started off as a normal day. John Harbour sets off with his brother and their good friend for what was hopefully to be a great, memorable hunting trip. And it's memorable, just not the way they planned. The men, they end up going their own ways, not too far apart from the other, when suddenly the silence is interrupted by a blast of a rifle. Harbor's brother and friend both hear John cry out, yelling, I've been shot! The men desperately search the area, looking for John. Far and wide, close and near, they find nothing at all whatsoever. It isn't until the next day they find the body of John Harbour. His legs were protruding from underneath a cedar tree. His gun was near him, just a few feet, and the way it looked, it looked as if it were propped or positioned to be a certain way. Like, it just looked staged. It was obvious that his body was not in the location of where the shooting occurred, and it's believed he was dragged to where they found him under the tree. 48 years later, in the same area where John Harbour was murdered, On a mid-November day in 1945, a skilled outdoorsman named Mitty Rivers goes missing. The 74-year-old man was a seasoned and experienced hunter and knew the area very well, like the back of your hand well. Mitty was leading a party of four hunters into Hell Hollow, which is located southwest of Glastonbury. He begins to lead the small group back to camp after a day of hunting when he gets ahead of the group a short distance, not too far. But unlike the four hunters, Mitty Rivers never makes it back to the safety of camp. When he doesn't come back right away, there's no major concern, at least not right away. As mentioned before, he was a skilled man who lived to be outdoors and adventure. So the group thought nothing of it, really. But after he doesn't come back, fear does start to grow. Did he have an encounter with an animal? Perhaps he had a heart attack or some other type of episode? What's going on? Where's Mitty Rivers? Soon a party of over 300 people, including fellow hunters, guides, locals, law enforcement, and United States Army soldiers, conduct a large extensive search for the missing man. They comb the forest, and eight days later, all they find is a rifle cartridge of the same that Mitty often used. He disappeared along the Long Trail and Vermont Route 9. Mitty River's body has never been found. The following year, in December of 1946, a Bennington College student named Paula Weldon disappears. She worked at the dining hall on campus, and one day after work, she goes home, changes out of her work outfit, and goes for a hike on Long Trail. Several witnesses place her there, including a person who gave her directions in Bennington and an elderly couple who were actually just a few yards behind her on the same trail. The couple who had been behind her this whole time say that they turned a corner and she was suddenly just gone. They never saw her again. Her roommate is not completely concerned when she doesn't return later that evening. She thought that, like many times before, that her roomie went to the library and was working on a project for a class or studying for some exam, and she just lost track of time. It's happened before. That's probably what's happening right now. Well, the alarm bell is eventually rang when she does not show up for classes the next morning very unlike her. It's not in her character to do that. Something's wrong. Over 1,000 people are in the search party for Paula, and this includes locals, aircraft search, the National Guard, fellow students, the help of the FBI, and a $5,000 reward. Today, that would be $74,130. Local sheriffs, they were criticized as there were several errors that occurred during the investigation into the missing college student. This led to the birth of the Vermont State Police. Now, some think she was depressed and wandered off and killed herself, while others fear she was abducted and murdered. The last sighting of her was when lumberjack Fred Gaddet was outside with his girlfriend. They were having a quite the heated argument. The soon-to-be-missing Paula walks by, and soon after that, angry Fred leaves his girlfriend, drives off in the direction where Paula was headed. He later bragged to at least two people that he knew where she was buried within a hundred yards. If this is true, he has never disclosed the whereabouts. For the 12-year anniversary of her disappearance, a newspaper article came out in hopes of any new leads. Twelve years ago today, a pretty Bennington College co-ed started her climb up Glastonbury Mountain and into oblivion. The disappearance of Paula Weldon has become one of New England's most famed mysteries. Public Safety Commissioner William Bauman promised today the case of the missing Connecticut co-ed will always remain open until solved. On December of 1946, the then 18-year-old blonde art student from Stamford, Connecticut, left the college campus, an autoist gave Paula a ride to the start of Long Trail leading to the top of Glastonbury Mountain. She said she was going to climb the mountain, and she had not been seen since. Like Mitty Rivers, Paula Weldon's body has never been recovered. In 1948, a woman named Betty Fraser goes missing. Her disappearance is reported by her grieving husband, Declan Fraser. He reports that recently she had been acting rather eccentric. She just wasn't being herself and it was kind of worrying him. Well, one day she walks to a local bar and she never returns home. Her neighbor happens to be driving in the area along Highway 30 going towards Bennington and she sees her. She's walking awkwardly, perhaps Maybe she's intoxicated, but something's not right. The concerned neighbor pulls over and asks her if she wants a ride home. Betty, do you need a ride home? I would love to take you home. Come on, jump in the car. Let's go. The neighbor shares that Betty doesn't respond and looks to be in what she could only describe as a trance. Confused, the neighbor leaves and Betty continues her walk. And this is the last known sighting of anyone seeing Betty Fraser alive. Fast forward one month later, 17 miles away in Westover, in a forest, Betty's body is found. Cause of death unknown. Her case remains unsolved to this very day. <laughs> December 3rd, 1949. Three years to the day that Paula disappeared, James Tedford goes missing. James, he was a World War II vet who was staying in the Bennington Soldier's home. He had just returned from visiting his family and friends at St. Albans. He, along with 13 people, were on a bus. When the bus reached his stop in Bennington, it's discovered that he is no longer on the bus. No one recalled him getting up. No one recalled him leaving the bus. I mean, there were only 14 people total, I guess 15 with the driver. Hopefully there was a driver. 15 people on the bus. So it's not like it was a crowded bus where, you know, a bunch of people are getting off. I mean, where did this gentleman go? Where did this veteran go? His luggage was still there, untouched and waiting to be claimed by him. It seems the vet had just vanished into thin air. Days after his disappearance, a newspaper article reads, State police here have just discovered that James Tedford, 68, a veteran at the soldier's home, here failed to return as scheduled last Thursday. General Reginald Buzzell reported to the state police today that Tedford had been visiting his wife in Franklin. Relatives accompanied him back to a bus stop in St. Albans, and that is the last that has been seen of him. A state police broadcast gives Tedford's description as wearing a cap, gray suit, and an army overcoat. He is 5 feet 5 inches and weighs 116 pounds. Like Mitty Rivers and Paula Weldon, James Tedford's body has never been found. Apparently, that same year, three hunters also go missing in the area, never to be found. I try to see more about this, whether, you know, the names or what happened or, you know, at least with these other people, we have names and stories and locations. But on all these things that I've seen, it just kept saying three hunters go missing. So who knows? Less than a year later, in October of 1950, Paul Jepsen, the youngest of the victims, disappears at the tender age of eight years young. He accompanies his mother for a ride in the truck. She stops to feed the family pigs, and she leaves him in the bed of the truck, and she comes back, I saw in some accounts, an hour later, just leaving the kid in the truck for a whole hour, yikes, to find her son has left the truck. Like the other cases, hundreds were involved in the search for the missing boy. Included in the search was bloodhounds, which detected his scent and tracked it to a fork in the road, but it stopped there. This made many believe that he had been walking on the road and he was picked up and kidnapped. His father shared that the lore of the mountains had called Paul to them. He talked about nothing else for days. The news reports this. A motorist may have seen missing 8-year-old Paul Jepson Jr. Sunday near North Hoosick, but the Bennington, Vermont boy's father doesn't hold out much hope. Mrs. Morella Lemnack of Jonesville, Vermont, told Vermont State Police yesterday at Burlington that she passed a boy answering young Paul's description walking toward the Vermont state line. She said she was walking home from Mechanicville when she passed the youngster walking along the road like any farm boy. She described him as wearing a faded red sweater, shirt, and brown trousers. She also said that his hair was light and needed of cutting. Paul Jepsen, the boy's father, told police last night that it doesn't sound like his son. Like Mitty Rivers, Paula Weldon, and James Tedford, little Paul Jepsen's body has never been recovered. 16 days after the child goes missing, Frida Langer vanishes. What was supposed to be a fun and memorable family camping trip in Glastonbury Mountain turns tragic when Frida and her cousin Herbert venture off together to go on a short hike. They literally only get a couple hundred or so yards away when Frida loses her footing and stumbles into a stream. She tells Herbert to wait here for her as she runs back to camp so she can change out of her soaking wet clothing and shoes. He waits patiently, but after quite some time passes... I mean, giving her more than enough time to get to camp, change, tell people the funny story of her falling in and coming back, but she never shows back up. So he heads back to camp to see what's taking so long. He's shocked when their family says that she had not come back and it's the first time they heard about her falling into a stream. Well, they searched the entire area with no luck whatsoever. No Frida at all. She's vanished into thin air. For the past weeks, over 400 people, including firefighters, police officers, soldiers, and locals, searched tirelessly for the missing woman. This scene has become eerily familiar. Missing person, search groups, they know the outcome probably will not be a good one. Fast forward seven months later, May of 1951, a woman's body is discovered near Somerset Reservoir in tall grass. This is an area that has been thoroughly searched several times. Cause of death is unknown. The woman is identified as Frida Langer. Frida is no longer missing. Now, besides Carol Herrick and Frida Langer, everyone else remain missing to this day. So what's going on here at the Bennington Triangle? Why are so many people missing? And why can no one find the bodies? Is the Bennington monster responsible? Rawr. Is there some serial killer who stalks people in the triangle and uses the place as a dumping ground to dispose his or her victims? Or was it UFO abductions? Now, what's really odd about these missing people cases are the similarities. All these people disappeared the last three months of the year, all in wintertime, little to no trace, and all in Beddington Triangle. I found several experiences people have shared online. Some events, they're truly bizarre. Many I notice have to do with the weather changing just out of nowhere. No warning, no nothing. The most seasoned, outdoorsy people have admitted to suddenly becoming disoriented due to the weather, almost like taunting or playing tricks. It's just insane. One man said he was out in the Bennington Triangle when he got lost. Everything crescendoed into this weird sort of dizzying confusion. It just suddenly got dark and then it was like, where am I? What's going on? The disoriented man eventually finds some much-needed shelter under a maple tree, which he shares was expelling a weird haunting energy. The next morning, he finally is able to find his way out. But as we know, that's not always the case. One family visited the area for what was to hopefully be a fun, memorable family camping trip. Day one goes by without any events to write home about. But day two, well, that's a different story. As we were heading back to our camp, things changed. All the wildlife went quiet not a pea. After dinner, they retire for the evening, and at some point in the night, they are woken up by a bizarre cry that was coming from across the pond. Now, this person said it sounded similar to that of a peacock. Have you ever heard a peacock? They sound like a woman is getting brutally murdered. Beautiful creatures, horrible sounds. Eventually, they drift off back to sleep and wake up once again to the horrible sound. But to their horror, the sound has since gotten closer. This happens a few more times throughout the night, each time getting a little bit closer. Now, that's scary. That's like something out of a scary movie, if you ask me. The man decides he won't take this lying down. He needs to do what any person would do, protect his family He gets a chair and he sits outside the tent, armed and ready. He waits. They have a tarp that is kind of hanging over the tent that's attached to the tent. And he said that the tarp line thumped like a guitar. The man, he's had quite enough of this bullshit. The threat is too close for comfort. He yells to whoever or whatever it is that they need to leave immediately. And as soon as he spoke, he said it sounded like several little things were running away, making their strange calls as they were making their getaway. I could hear them scurry through the brush which surrounded our tent. Now, believe it or not, even after this happened, the guy is able to fall asleep. Me, not so much. I would have been too freaked out to sleep a wink. And about an hour later, the mysterious creatures or beings or whatever the hell they are, well, they're back. He shoots a couple of warning shots into the sky, and they take off running once again. As soon as Dawn showed its beautiful self, this family hightail it to the safety of their vehicle. But before they can do that, they have to get in the canoe and go across the pond. The man, he has to go back to fetch the rest of their belongings, and the site he came back to was a shocking one. The bedding was folded neatly and placed outside outside. The damp ground revealed hundreds of these tiny little footprints. He says that they were probably the size of a very small child. I mean, that's bizarre. One group of friends had been driving in their truck along the bumpy forest road and came upon a strange clearing in the middle of the hills. They discovered this old cellar hole, and then another. These were completely hidden via the tall grass. It was a nice July day when out of nowhere this bizarre torrential thunderstorm appears. This leaves the group of friends temporarily stranded. They eventually are able to escape and make their way to the safety of the flats. What they saw was a pure shocker. The entire surrounding area was dry. No scratch that. It was bone dry, not a drop of rain, not a speck of dew. They ask around, and it's confirmed by locals that there's no type of storm, rain, thunder, torrential, not even a drizzle that happened that day. Another interesting story coming from the Bennington Triangle. One man who was known to be a down-to-earth fellow who worked in the area and would often stay at the Goddard shelter. There were times when his friends would witness him wake up from his slumber, laughing quite hysterically and uncontrollably. Even more eerily, at times he would wake up screaming, bloody murder. One man heard a ghostly train whistle one day while he was on a hike on the West Ridge Trail. And in 1984, a man named Don saw a flying silo, shaped anomaly, flying in the skies of Bennington. Other reports of weird lights and objects in the sky have been reported throughout the years. In 2003, a Winooski resident was driving on Route 7 near Glastonbury when he saw what he first thought was a homeless man wandering about. As he got closer, he got a better look and saw that this was an extremely tall figure covered head to toe and thick, dark hair. And the final encounter that I will share about Bennington Triangle takes place back in 2008 when a music composition professor from Bennington College, the same college that missing woman Paula Weldon attended, gets lost in the mountains. Now, like Mitty, he was a skilled hiker and an active outdoorsman. He takes a trail that he is very familiar with, heading towards Bald Mountain and heads back down the trail ready to call it a day. Well, it ends up leading him somewhere completely different. And he actually walks about five miles before realizing where am I? I should have been in my car by now. Like what's going on? He is growing concerned. His fiance is probably beyond worried about him. He should have been home hours ago. As he grows concerned, A dense and heavy fog enveloped the area, coming out of nowhere. It gets very, very dark. He heads towards a maple tree that he says was almost guiding him to it. Wanting to get warm, he tries to start a fire. He picks up a few sticks, and to his horror, he finds out that these are not sticks at all, but they're actual animal bones. He eventually gets a fire going and is stuck there overnight. In the morning, he sees that he somehow ended up on the other side of the ridge from where his car was actually located. So if you are in Vermont and want to go for a walk or a hunting or camping trip in the Bennington Triangle, be careful as it may be the last thing you do. And if you are able to escape its clutches, you may walk away with a hell of a story to share. This episode is in memory to all the people who were either murdered or have gone missing and have never been found in the Bennington Triangle. My heart goes out to all of the families, and you never know. You see cases all the time where people are found after decades of being lost. There's hope that hopefully they'll be found and maybe get more answers. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? (coughs) No need to cry, you can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those podcast platforms such as Breaker, Spotify, iVox, Castro, Player FM, wherever you may roam. <sighs> to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Christiansburg, Virginia, Ashford, Alabama, Tampa, Florida, Whitehorse, Australia, and Peabody, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for stopping by. It is greatly appreciated. Do you have a story to share, a legend, a myth, a local haunt? Want to be a voiceover sometime? Email me at paraprowl at gmail.com or you can find me on the Paranormal Prowler's podcast page. And be sure to... People, if you don't come back and listen to Paranormal Prowler's newest episode, I will come and beat you with a rubber hose. <laughs> like you've never been beaten before. Thanks, everyone, and I will see you next week.